Today I'd like to share with you something which is uh, from a familiar passage. And I wanted to put up something that may help you um, to look through any sermon or any word of God that will perhaps help you to listen and hear and draw from God perhaps more. Yeah? So uh, let's look at these four key questions that I invite you to ask as I am sharing the word. The first key question it, it arises from the fact that every time God shares, speaks to us a word, He has something for me, something for us. Amen? So He doesn't just want us to study the word, but He has something for us, especially when He's speaking. And I'm speaking especially about things in which God is speaking to you through the word. Now, there's some things that we study for its own sake, right? But when you're listening to, when you're wanting to listen to God, one of the first things that I always ask is, God, what do you have? What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? What is it that you're doing? There's no point in me trying to do something that God is not doing, yeah? All right. Second question I always ask is, of course, it's obvious, what is preventing or hindering me from, keep, from having what you have for me, you know? After all, if God has something for us, surely we should just get it. We should be able to receive it. But sometimes we don't because of the fact that, you know, James tells us that sometimes we don't look a little bit deeper and, and allow the Lord to show us what are the areas in which there are blockages or there are hindrances or there are practices that prevent us from having. If you can get, link these two things together, what God has for us and what's preventing it, God can actually give us the answers. Yeah? The, these are things that we believe that as you are perhaps listening to the word, God will speak to you. Yeah, speak to you, and we ask God that question. The third thing is, um, I'm trusting God that as I'm speaking the word, He will give you a key that will unlock something that perhaps has been locked up for you for a long time. And so just think about it. At the end of the sermon, I'll ask Daniel to put it up again, yeah, so that you can just reflect upon it. Perhaps even as you're soaking, what is the key to unlocking it for me? And a lot of times when there's revelation, it's different from what I thought it was. Yeah, different what I thought, what it was. And the fourth thing is, of course, in order for to experience the, 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 the reality of it, what do you want me to do now, which is different? Yeah? How do you want me to do it differently? Okay? Uh, of course, these four questions are kind of obvious, right? If you want something, you uh, are going to ask such questions, and you won't be satisfied until those questions are answered, right? Because you won't be satisfied with just having your, your mind tickle, your ears tickle, but you want something. I remember when I was um, wanting to figure out how God could move more uh, in, my, in my church. I, and we had put up this um, advertisement that for anybody in, the, in town to come to our church, promising that God will move. We didn't promise that they will be healed, but we, that God would move. I remember thinking, what if he doesn't? Right? What if he doesn't? What, what, if, what if it doesn't work out? And so these questions were really important to me because if I didn't get answers to these questions, that would be a huge pie in the face. True? So there are some times when we are desperate that these 
questions we feel need to be answered. And if we don't have an answer, we will not be satisfied. Okay, so I just wanted to just put this before you. Yeah. Okay. Can you please turn with me to Luke chapter... Sorry. Trying to sort out my notes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who loves us, cares for us, and has something that we need. And so we ask you that even now that you would touch us, speak to us, and do a mighty work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. I actually forgot to tell you that um, the youth, I promised the youth that I would try to practice um, giving the notes or at least an outline to the sermon. And so today is my first practice uh, attempt at doing an outline. Daniel, you have it? All right. Uh, if you can pray for me, I will be able to do that more consistently. Okay. I know the youth are not here, but I, I promise them that I will practice. Okay, let's, read, let's look at Luke chapter 11. And it's about prayer. You read it from verse 5. Jesus was talking about the prayer, and you know, the verse five, 1 to verse 4 is about the, our Father, the Lord's prayer. And verse 5 says, And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, Lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. Interesting, yeah? Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and, as children, as, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up, and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he really needs. So I say to you, so I say to you, it's a connective, right? It's, so it's a kind of a soul. For, well, it follows that, ask. And in the Greek, we have a tense in which it can be best translated, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Search or seek, and you can keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Praise God. I want to share with you about something that's related to our topic uh, and that's leading up to the Paul Conference. 
And that has to do with us in the land, thriving in times of adversity. And what God, I feel, is giving to us today is a way in which when we have nothing, we can actually see God enlarge, not nothingness, but enlarge us so that what seems to be nothing can become something more than we expected. Because you see, in the land, God wants us to be fruitful so that I believe His heart goes to those who don't know Him, those who see, are seeking for Him, those who have a need. And God has put us in the places where He has called us to because He wants us to be witnesses and to be a blessing to others. And if we, our eyes were open enough, we would see beyond the physical personalities that we have around us, what we will see is need. And I don't mean just need or a need for something that is superficial. It's a need that's a crying need. It's a yearning. It's a circumstance that has left people in pain. And if we, the Holy Spirit could only open our eyes to see things that we could usually only see superficially, God would show us where the crying desire and need is. Yeah? So many people that we know have put up a front of imperviousness, of, of, uh, of invulnerability. But nobody is invulnerable. Nobody is without pain except a person who has leprosy and has lost all feeling. And others, of course. But may I say to you that actually what God once has placed you in the location, the work that you have is, the why He has done that is because He wants to connect Himself to these ones who have tremendous need. And if you and I could actually see that need with God's eyes, not just with the eyes of our own physical observation, but with God's eyes, we will actually hear the cry. We will hear the cry. And so it's with this that I wanted to sort of frame this message because I feel that God is preparing us to be fruitful in the land that He has put placed us. I really believe that. I really believe that. He wants to connect us with someone crying out there who has been crying for a while, maybe not with tears, but within the, in the yearnings of the heart. He wants to connect you and I with that. You may think, I don't see anybody. That's because perhaps your eyes have not been opened. If my eyes were opened, I'll probably see everybody, everybody's needs, the holes in the heart. But the Lord has not called us to meet every need. He wants to bring us to a particular need that you and I can actually be available for. I believe that that's why God has called us into the land, not so that, just so that we can be successful. That's a byproduct. That's part of God's payment to us. It's a provision for us. The aim is not that we become excellent in whatever it things that we are doing. Hone our craft and all that. All that's good. But that is not the thing. The thing is not just that. That's not the eternal thing. The eternal thing is this. 
you and I have been put in the land, whether it's your school or your um, workplace or your, your um, circle of uh, influence or relationships, because he, his heart is seeking out for people. Amen? So I'm not necessarily sure that everybody wants to hear this message today. I'm not sure. But I'm, I'm believing, believing that, that as I speak to you, God has moved in your heart, and you do want to hear how you can be used by God. Now, here, here it is. Let's look at it from verse 5. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. Yeah? I have nothing to be set before him. I think the most important thing is to be able to, be able to recognize this feeling of having nothing. Yeah? This feeling of having nothing. This feeling of not having enough. This feeling that comes when we set and define our boundaries according to what we have extra. Now, most of us function from a position of our, the limits of our resources. Right? The limits of our resources. We function from that. We are actually defined by our limits of our resources. I do whatever I can. I give whatever I have. I spend as much as is available to me. Yeah? Now, the thing about it that, that Jesus brings us to is very interesting. He says, I have nothing. I have nothing. And the feeling of I have nothing, have you ever experienced that? It's not just that I have nothing to give. I have nothing for myself as well. It's not just the fact that we don't have extra. It is the fact that we don't have enough. Or I have nothing. And I feel that one way to look at it is this. The abundance of God is predicated upon having nothing. It does not depend upon how much we have. In fact, it's that, that equation doesn't actually absolutely figure out. It does to some extent, but not absolutely, because what God wants to do is to cause us to know how much we have. You see, because we don't know how much we have, we can only see nothing. And I wonder whether there are some of us who are experiencing this, I actually have nothing. In my need, in this place, you're asking me to minister to people. I don't even have brain space for myself. I don't even have resources for myself. I myself have not enough. Don't tell me your problems. I've got problems of my own. And these problems define the limits of what I can do. But it's not only that. It's just that I don't have enough for myself. I'm not even whole. I'm not even healed. I'm not even... In, um, um, uh, making ends meet. I'm not even above water. And can it be that we, God wants to speak about ministering to others when we ourselves need ministry ourselves? The, the, the predicate of God's abundance or God's supply is having nothing and recognizing it. Now, I think that what happens is that most of us find it very difficult to be fruitful in, in doing ministry because we've already defined the terms. We've de defined our, our spaces. 
And our space is defined by what we have extra. So we give what is extra. We accommodate what is extra. We give time according to what's extra. I find myself, especially time-wise, one of the things that Cindy finds what's me saying all the time is, I'm under the gun, I'm under the gun, I'm under the gun. I'm always under the gun. And when I'm under the gun, my temptation is to not talk to people along the way, not take calls, not give that extra. But I find that if I am open to the Spirit, He's always coming against that. He's always colliding with that. For me, it's issue of time. For some of us, maybe something else. But here's the thing. We also have a problem when we say we can't minister, we can't pray or lay hands or talk to someone because we are not equipped. We don't have the experience. I've not experienced God using me in a mighty way. And I have nothing. And so the person that Jesus is using as an example, as as an illustration, he says, I have nothing to set before him. And I think sometimes the church can sometimes wrongly think we have nothing to set before people. I want to invite you to actually consider the fact that you don't have anything, but God is, at this point, when you feel the absolute deficit, God's wanting to connect you and me with someone or some people in spite of the fact that you feel nothing. How's that? And that prayer is not just prayer that for me to have something, but for me to have something to set before people, to minister, to give to people. Amen? When Jesus died on the cross, He gave us His Spirit. He took our, took our insides away, took, our, took away our sin nature, put a new nature in. The nature, the nature of God can heal the sick. Not every person will be healed. I don't know why some people are not healed. But there is power, wonder-working power, in you and me. So when, P- when, 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 when Peter and John says, silver and gold have I? None. And then they say, whatever I have, I give to you. They were not saying, I'll give you what's left over, what's excess, in excess. They were saying, I don't have it, but someone has it and I can touch that it and I'll give it to you. That when I give to you, when I interact with you, I will not give according to what I have, but whatever he has. And give me a minute. I'm just going to open my hand and stretch it out to heaven, okay? Because if I can, something will flow. But give me a minute. Give me a minute. I'm, I may not be ready. You, you surprised me at time. I didn't expect you to come this way. I didn't expect you to come at midnight. But I, I realize I don't have the bread. I don't have the goods. I don't have all the power. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the revelation. But let, give me a minute. Let me just stretch out my hand. Ah, oh, I can, I know. It's there. Whatsoever I have, I give to you. Does that make sense? When someone comes to me with a need, I don't say, I don't have it. I say, whatsoever I have, I give to you. But not what's in my pockets, not how I feel, but I have to tell that person, wait a minute. Sometimes. Wait a minute. Let me connect with God. And I have to actually come to a place where I realize 
Lord, all I see is nothing. Now, I wait on you to fill that nothing with you. Amen? Of course I have nothing. If I think I have something, I've got the wrong thing. Right? If I think I have something, I have, I have the wrong thing. I can't give that something that I think I have. I have to always come to a point where nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I, I cling. And if I stretch out my hand to God, I mean figuratively, not just physically, I hope you understand that. I'll say, God, you have everything. Even now, if I feel depressed, you, that doesn't change the fact that you have everything. Even though I feel deficit, I feel poor, I feel broken, it doesn't change the fact you have everything, that you have everything. I have to function from that. If I don't function from that, in the land, I will always function in a limited, very small and limited scope in which I will only give what I have in excess in the flesh. What God wants to do is to enlarge us and cause us to experience what I have. Isn't it? The, the disciples said, whatsoever I have. And then they said, they were bold to say, okay, let me tell you what I have. Get up. Get up. In the name of Jesus Christ. Whoa, isn't that amazing? The disciples knew what they had. We don't know what we have. We don't know how to have. We know half of it. Those of us who are humble enough, we know half of it. We know we have nothing. Okay, that's half of it. You already have half if you, if you, you have nothing. That other half is, wait a while, stretch out. I believe you, Lord, that you love that person enough to want to come through my nothingness, come through my broken vessel and shine through. Let me be nothing. You be everything. Amen? I find that that, that is extremely important. Let's look at nice, the snazzy outline. Having nothing. Okay, got it. The other thing that, he, that it says is that, for a friend of mine has arrived, I have nothing to set before him. Secondly, and he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked. Already been locked. Wow. Sorry, my Bible is all over the place. It's already locked. We sometimes feel that we can't move from that place because it's too late. The situation is locked in. And what the, 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 the friend was saying is, look, I can't come out. It's past time. My children are with me. I'm, it's locked. The door is locked. The door is locked. We are locked into a certain situation. And sometimes we feel that because of the locked situation, we just have to turn away and we can't do anything about it. We can sometimes be locked in by our impressions of people. I think that in, in locks us in a lot when people are intimidating looking or when people look at us funny or they just don't look at us. I think that's that's a very intimidating thing. By impressions, by time having passed, and so because of that, we're just, we're just too late. 
remember when I, I have this iconic, not iconic, um, um, recurring image of rushing to the airport, being late, wanting to get on board, boarding, and then the door is shut. And that happened to me one day when I wanted to visit my father who was in hospital in Singapore. And uh, I was going, rushing with my youngest brother, and we went there, and we saw that the door had been locked. Okay, Yeah, there's a traffic jam and all that. And the door was so locked. It took so locked because those doors looked so fierce and so heavy. And I had to see my dad. We had to see my dad. And so we said, please, 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 please. And we pled with them so pathetically. We were miserable. Our face was scrubbing the floor. It was shameful, the way we pled. But we had to see our dad. There was no time for pride, no time for anything. And so my brother and I just kind of groveled. Oh, we groveled. And then they opened the door. And we were able to get that in. And it really comforted him when we went back. And uh, Sometimes we take locked as the final word. We can be locked in to paradigms. We can locked, be locked in to um, opinions. Yeah? And we are coming to a place in our society in which Opinions have become reduced to very simple black and white. And there is no place for judging things or people based upon the heart. They're based on black and white categories. And so because of that, we can be locked in to those things. Yeah? My daughter was, was telling me about this person who had certain opinions about certain people. And she was saying, I was, so, I was so disturbed about his stated opinion. And I thought, he hates this kind of people. And then she told me, but you know what, Dad? I was shocked. He went and made or bought some food for someone of that category that he had ragged on, just without any, any kind of uh, provocation. Just said, just did that. And she said, then I asked him, why did you do that? And then he shared his heart, shared about how for many years, he had done everything that he could for a particular person, and that person just blew him off. And he shared about how his heart of hearts was not like how his mouth speaks. Then I understood a little bit about how when Jesus says or that the Lord looks to the heart, what he was saying is that not just that he just looks at the heart, he just says, Sometimes things are more nuanced than that. Only if you look at the heart, then you see the different patches, dysfunctionality, bitterness, softness, and hardness, 
and the, and, and the, the inconsistency that's there. And when you look in the heart, and when God says he looks in the heart, he's seeing all the woundedness, the sin as well, right? The wrong, there's a, and then the good part as well. Isn't it? And we can get locked in because of the fact that we have opinions, intimidation, um, lack of time, or circumstances. And so, sometimes we can feel locked in. I, uh, I have this uh, story. I have to make sure I get it right. There was, uh, when we moved into our house some years ago, opposite our house, we met a gardener. And as we drove in, the first time we encountered him, he said, something really rude, okay? Something really rude, something really disgruntled and really angry. And then he says, I know you people. I know you people. And I can't remember all that he said, but he just railed. So we sort of avoided him because we knew his opinions about us or us, whatever us that means. And so we avoided, avoided him. And every time I drove out of, the, out of the house, I would say, I would be protective over our young children and say, okay, this person doesn't like it doesn't like us, so just stay away from that person, okay? Stay away, stay away, stay away. So we got locked into that situation, locked into that situation. And then Cindy does what she always does. She crosses over, sees him, and refuses to be locked into it. And just as she's walking to that neighbor, and he's there, she, you know, acts as if nothing, nothing was going on. And she says, hi, how are you? So he says, terrible. I have this problem with my hip and I've been so much pain. I think it was arthritis as well. It was so much pain, I cannot do my work. Immediately, she said, oh, let's pray. Jesus can heal you. And she, so she prayed for him and immediately he was healed. He started, you know, he was a portly man. He started jumping up and down, up and down, up and down. Thank you, thank you. And so she shared with him about Jesus and, and he just opened his heart to the Lord, you know. How he did that, I don't want, know exactly what, what happened, but his heart was open to the Lord. Since that time, four years later, since then, I don't know whether he's still alive or not because he's a little bit elderly. Um, every time he sees, he would see Cindy at, immediately after, he says, still good. Then he will kind of practice jumping. And, she, and they would talk about the Lord and all that. Can you imagine? He became sunshine to us. And not only to Cindy, but to us as well. Even me. Isn't that amazing? You don't, you're not necessarily locked in. But what you have to do is to be able to look to the Lord, right? Or else what happens is that our nothingness will establish that we have no relationship with Him. There is no, there is nothing. Not only that, there's nothing we can do. That nothing we have for Him but it's locked in. Okay, then the third, third thing I want to say is another aspect of this which we will call 
importunity. You know what's importunity? Importunity is persistence to the extent of annoyance. Okay, let's have a look at this. Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, he says, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me, the door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. That's locked. Okay, that's locked. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend, yeah, because he's a friend, at least because of his persistence, and the Greek word here is anaidea, okay, anaidea, which, which, which is, is best translated, not persistence, but persistence to the point of annoyance. It's, it's importunity, yeah? He will get up and give him whatever he needs. Now, this is something that's, that, that, that sometimes we can misunderstand. We are supposed to pray with persistence. We are supposed to pray to God with persistence. But the scripture is saying, you are to pray with persistence. Does that mean we have to fight against God? Do you think that God is wanting to stop us and has to be persuaded to share the love and to, and to meet our needs? Do you think that's the way? No, actually, Luke is, Jesus is saying, Luke, and Luke is quoting him, is saying, no, there's a not different dynamic that's involved. And that dynamic has to do with a certain, uh, a certain spirit that is stronger than the fear of offending. It's an annoyance. It's to the point of annoying person. And you're saying, your friend is not going to give you the bread because he's your friend. It's more than relational. It's, not, it's more than whether the friend likes you or not. It's not a measure of whether the friend loves you or not, or whether the friend thinks you are important or not. It's not that. What Jesus was saying is this. It's not a matter of God, whether God wants to give it to you or not. It's not a matter of whether God loves you or not, or whether he's your friend or not. No, that's not the issue. He is your friend. He loves you infinitely more than you can ever know. Jesus is saying, that is not the thing you're, going to, you're depending on. You're depending on the fight fact that there is a dynamic in which God is able to back up persistence because there is a resistance that you are facing. This resistance causes you to give up all the time. And what he's saying is this, it's not God's friendship with you that you are pulling on because he loves you, he's your friend, but it's the persistence that is exercised in the situation. It's not a matter of whether God loves you or not. So sometimes we feel that if God isn't answering our prayer, we think it's because He's not my friend. Or we think that God wants to test us. Or we think that God wants us to want it enough until you see the wanting meter go up real high. The wantometer. And it's not about anything like that. It has to do with the fact that Jesus is giving advice. He's your coach, right? He's your coach. He says, look, when you see a situation in which you see that resistance to something that is good, that's in my will, just because you see the resistance and no, and after you pray, nothing actually is happening. What Jesus is saying is, you've got to pick up different weapons. You've got to go into a different mode of prayer. And it involves a certain willing to annoy. Willing to not annoy on purpose, but... To, to be persistent to such an extent that my, when my persistence comes against and crunches against the resistance, the resistance will not 
fall against the love that God has for us. This is actually an, an important thing because I feel that for us as a church, God is actually, I think, taking us to another place in prayer in which perhaps your prayer has been one in which you just ask God for things and God answers your prayer, just like God answers prayer of a child. Uh, God loves to hear our, our, our cry, the cry of our heart. And then when, you are, when we enter into the land and we are surrounded by tremendous need and we are surrounded by tremendous demonic powers, what Jesus is saying is this, well, you're going to need something, to, an, an instrument that's more, more, more heavy. And that's not just supplication, but intercession, where you hammer against the enemy. That is what uh, is, is meant by importunity, yeah? where the, 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 the widow who needed justice intimidated the judge, the unjust judge. God is not the unjust judge. God is coaching us and saying, you've got to be like that person so that the enemy knows that you will not take no for an answer. Or as you, if he knows when you will give up, he will wait until that point which he knows you are going to give up. He will, after that, he, he, will, he, will, he will not bother about us, right? So what Jesus was basically saying is this, we pray. And this is where I want to invite you to, 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 to be involved in prayer on an intercessory level, completely coming in and praying, I'm going to pray until this happens. I'm going to pray until this happens. As long as you're praying in God's will. That doesn't mean I'm going to pray for whatever I want and, and I'm going to be so persistent and, and, and God rewards that persistence for what I want. I'm not guaranteeing anything of that. What, I, what, what God is saying is this, you pray for people that you love, people that are in your company, your circle, and start taking them under your wing. Put them in your heart and pray and don't give up for them because there is a need for someone who loves them with love strong as death. Amen? One of the things that we experience in our daily prayers is just praying. And some of us, we've been praying for some people for more than a year, more than a year and a half, two years. And you know what's powerful for me? To see that there are people who are still praying for the same person from two years ago and they have not given up. To me, that is a miracle. That is a sign that, you know, as, as Paul says in Philippians, that the enemy is going to be in perdition because of your persistence. Amen? I want to I wanna, I wanna encourage you to have someone that you're praying for or some people that God's calling you to pray for. Have them in your heart. Have them in your heart. But not just pray whenever it comes up, but pray until that person comes to the Lord. If you have children, you know how to pray like that. If you love someone enough, you know how to pray like that. Because it is not, it's not thinkable. You cannot countenance the fact that that person will go to hell. You cannot accept that, that fact that that person will have another year of suffering. You cannot. Now, that kind of prayer is the prayer that Jesus is talking about. It's nothing to do with whether Jesus is your friend or not. It has everything to do with the fact that I have somebody who's my workmate or somebody and, they, and God, has, God has put that person under my skin, under my heart, so much so that I will not forget. 
and I will pray for that person until there will even come a point in which I will step out and speak to him or to speak to her, even if it's annoying to her. Because if not, I will always stay within the boundary of not, of not offending and not offending. At the end of the day, I've seen too many friends of mine die without accept, accepting the Lord. A few days ago, I received a message from a friend of mine who I knew in campus on, 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 in, in my undergraduate days. And he had been looking for me for 40 years. Around 40 years when, since we, we graduated. He had come to the Lord as part of that kind of revival we had on, on campus. He was the second person to come to the Lord. Very needy in the English department as well. And I had been praying for him all this while. All this while. For 40 years. But a few days ago, um, actually end of last week, he managed to contact me. He says, Mike, I've been looking for you. I've been trying to, to find you. I didn't know you were in the States. He had tried to contact me on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook anymore. I mean, I am, but, but I, I, don't, I don't check my Facebook. And so he'd been waiting, waiting, waiting. Finally, I took a peek into Facebook and saw him. Ah! He looked very different. He looked as old as I do. And we got contact. And then he told me, I've come back to the Lord. And I knew you were praying for me. I just wept. Because he's still in my heart. After 40 years, I would get back on Facebook just for him. And then after that, I'll get off. Just for him, okay, I would do it. But the point is this. There's a way in which we pray until. Amen? Amen. I pray that it will not take you 40 years. It did not take him 40 years. Actually, he came back to the Lord long before that. I just knew about it 40 years later. Amen? Okay. This, you are bigger than the annoyance. And I just wonder whether the Lord wants to break open our limitations and our scope of, of functioning that is limited by not annoying. Because there's something that is more important. Amen. And so very quickly, let's go into to, to two, section two. There are three keys that can be unlocked out of this understanding that it's not about friendship. It says, ask and keep on asking. Asking is important because it, it, it opens ourselves to cha a change of heart. We ask for different things. Yeah? What, is the, what are the main things that we ask for? May I suggest to you that the main thing that we want to ask for is for the salvation of our loved ones, our workmates, our schoolmates. Yeah. May I suggest that the asking space be moved a little bit more so that central to our asking is for people's lives. Amen. 
when you find that that is becomes the, 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 the main thing that we're praying for, all, all these things will be added unto us, I'm sure. But when we, that becomes, it begins to develop a certain heart. It's not focus yet necessarily, but it's a heart. Asking and keep on asking, what it happens is that God begins to develop our heart. You just keep asking. You may begin by praying for Johnny and you think, I don't think he's going to come. He's just not interested. You share a little bit, he's actually miffed by that. But you just keep on asking. Ask the Lord to begin to open the heart and begin to open a space. And God begins to change our heart. Asking is really important because if you don't have the heart change, you will not have the consistency. You will not have the persistency. You will, not, you, will, you will fizzle out very quickly. What we need is to be able to be in the land, praying more powerfully beyond annoyance, beyond barriers, beyond lockness. Yeah? Secondly, it says, seek and keep on seeking. Seek and keep on seeking. And that means as we keep on seeking, the, what happens is the mind, the heart begins to focus more and more because we are looking for answers from that, asking for and it makes us say, okay, I'm willing to change whatever you need me to change. It may take me a while. I may waffle, but I'm willing to change. Amen? Seeking means I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I will pray. And I'll change my opinion if I need to. Seeking has to do with saying, what does it take for my friend to come to the Lord. If it means that I have to change and there are things in, that need to be changed in me, you show it to me. But the seeking mode is different from asking. Asking has to change your heart. Seeking has to change your mind and perception. Because when you seek, what happens is that our mind goes into a certain mode. Isn't that true? So, the, recently, I needed to renew my passport, but I couldn't find my passport. I right? couldn't find my passport because I was going to Malaysia. And I looked everywhere. I turned. There was no stone unturned, no drawer un, un, unransacked for me to find that thing. And I looked in the drawer in my study, the top drawer in the study. I took everything out. Everything. You know how passports can sometimes sit on the, on the, on the wall and they'd be standing on the wall there. I checked that. I checked that. And I, to be fastidious about it, I checked it at least four times. I took things out to the point of ridiculousness. I could not find it. I couldn't find it for months. And I'd come to a point that I needed to go to the Malaysian embassy and tell him, sorry, I'm, going to wait. I'm willing to pay for a new passport. I need it to be expedited. I cannot find the, the passport that I have. And I had contacted that by, by phone. And then uh, Cindy and the girls said, Daddy, why are you, why, why, your, uh, why are you so um, agitated? I said, I can't find my passport. I've looked everywhere. I've looked in the most ridiculous places. Had you, have you looked in the study? Yes, I've looked in the study. Look again. No, I've looked at it four times. So Cindy says, okay, girls, we're going to look for it. And you know what I said? You're not going to find it. Actually, she said, let's pray. She said, let's pray. And you know what came out of my mouth? You're not going to find it. I'm a pastor of a church. And they said, 
Let us pray. I said, no, you're not going to find it. I, could, I can't believe what came out of my mouth. But they prayed and I, I, was, I had to pray because I'm the pastor of a church. And they prayed. Amen. So Elisa goes straight to my study to look at that same drawer, the top drawer, that I had looked and ransacked and taken everything. I looked at the vertical um, uh, plane of the, of the drawer. She goes in, finds it there. Standing up on that vertical plane. I swear, this is magic. This is, this is wrong. This is so wrong. It's like, it's infuriating that something so simple and logical can elude me. And we found it. Just the day before I was supposed to go and go to the Malaysian embassy. I don't know the timing of God, but you don't foreclose it. Search. I realized I had searched. But one thing I hadn't searched is that despisable idea that you can actually pray and that if praying something can happen I do not know how we found it search is allowing the impossible sometimes even the implausible to actually put a pressure upon us amen searching changes not only the way in which we our, our heart is expanded for the lost for many of us that's what we need Searching is, what, Lord, do I need to do? Do I need to stand on my head? Do I need to sort of do a dance? Whatever, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. You cannot go to second stage unless your heart is enlarged in the first stage. But you will do it for your children, I'm sure. You do it for them. You will do it. You will do whatever it takes. Even if it means you eat humble pie, even if it means that you say sorry a thousand times, even if it means that you admit that you're wrong, even if it means that you will stay up at night to pray for them and, 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 and be with them for whatever that is needed, you would do it. You would do it. And perhaps some of us have experienced what extremes we would go to, 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 to search and to find that lost one. Amen? And finally, it says, knock and keep on knocking. It's interesting that in this, this chapter, in uh, Luke chapter 11, the keys follow from the Jesus, Jesus paradigm of praying, not because God is your friend, but because of the need for persistence. Verse 9, it says, So I say to you, yeah? after talking about, you know, he's not going to get up, and give him anything because he is your friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him every, whatever he needs. Verse 9, so I say to you, what he's saying is that it follows then that the, the key to this thing is ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, or search and keep on searching, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open for you, for everyone who receives, who asks, receives. Knocking has to do with a way in which we respond to the locked door when we come to it. Knocking has to do with how we respond to closed doors. True. Knocking comes as a reaction 
to something that's been slammed in our face. That's That's a no. Knocking has to do with the fact that in prayer, we realize that in spite of the fact that people have said no, people have not had said no to Jesus, there is a court of appeal. That when there's no more space for you to move, there's no more space for you to, to, to come anymore, you go into prayer and a whole inside space begins to open where God can actually move. And you can knock and keep on knocking, whack and keep on whacking. And if the first time you don't see anything, it doesn't mean God isn't working. But small cracks may be appearing. Amen? Let us pray. I want to invite you to ask God to, if He has not already, open your heart so that someone in your life can come to Jesus. We'll just wait for a, for a little bit. And I want to invite you to ask God to just put someone in your heart. You may say, I have nothing. Or he or she wants nothing to do with me. I just invite you to say, if you have never brought a person to the Lord, if you've never seen someone in your workplace open their heart to Jesus, God has it for you. You have not nothing, but you have the full treasure of heaven. You just need to tap into it, open your heart to it. So I want to invite you to open your heart to the Lord and invite Him to give us an ask who's a person. Someone that God may be putting in your heart even now. So Lord, we welcome your presence. We invite you to come. Come, O Lord. Fill us Give us your heart right now. Let our heart not be limited by our nothingness or the little left over. Let's stretch out our our hands to heaven. And even now, we stretch our hand to heaven right now. We just say, Lord, come. Roll in right now. Roll into VCF. Roll into our hearts right now in the name of Jesus. Give us a hunger for souls, hunger for people to come to you, Lord, that none should perish in the name of Jesus. Bless your name. Let the Lord, let the Lord do a work. There's only so much a person can say. In the end, if the Lord's not saying it, then it's all in vain. And so, Lord, I ask you that you will speak to each one of us now. I don't just want fruit, Lord. I just want my friends, my loved ones, to know you and be filled with your Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.